Well, good morning. Um, today, we're going to continue in the series that we started last week, and it's a study in the Proverbs, and um, it is advice for life. Now, I want to first introduce the proverb that we're going to look at today, and then we're going to unpack that just a little bit. First of all, this is one of the most life-changing proverbs that you and I will ever absorb, experience, and apply. And it comes out of Proverbs 19.11, and this is what it says in the ESV. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. I just want to ask a question. Have you ever in your life been offended and exploded in anger and said things you later regretted? Am I the only one? This verse says, actually, it's really important for your well-being to understand that the only way to deal with anger, don't deny it, it's real, it's there, but you need to be slow to get angry. Slow it down. Shut your mouth. But the part of this proverb I want us to look at is this statement that says, it is to his glory to overlook an offense. That is the one thing I want you to remember today as you walk out of here. It is to your glory to overlook an offense. Will you say that with me? Overlook an offense. Thank you for the six people that did. Would the rest of you say that with me now? Overlook an offense. I'm not offended with those of you who aren't cooperating today. But the important thing for us to leave it with is this. Overlook an offense. It will change your life. It will absolutely change your life. You know, Proverbs are pithy statements that are meant to stick into your thoughts. They're meant to make you think. They're meant to make you struggle. They're even sometimes meant to make you mad. But they carry such important truths. These statements, if they stick, can revolutionize your thinking and the trajectory of your life. So today we're going to be looking at this phrase, over an offense. It would, it would change everything. You know, to get wisdom out of Proverbs, you're going to have to want the wisdom. I mean, you have to be humble. You have to be willing to listen. You have to be willing to struggle through what that proverb means and how it applies to you. A, a wise person doesn't easily pass over the opportunity to hear from God as he gives important clues for a successful life. Now, I was thinking about the Proverbs. What all does God talk about in the Proverbs? So many, okay? But he doesn't say, blessed are those whose favorite color is blue, because that doesn't matter. But if we learn to overlook an offense, it is to our glory. It's going to make our lives better. Um, 
You know, this week, we had a meltdown. And I'm not speaking metaphorically. I'm, our freezer, something happened. I think the door was ajar a little bit. And when you've got 100-degree weather, a little bit of an open door in a, in a freezer in a garage is going to melt down. Monday morning, I went out to the garage to get something out of the freezer and noticed there was water all over the floor. So I opened the freezer, and sure enough, the things in that freezer were starting to thaw. I don't want to be eating half-thawed-out chicken. I don't know about you. So everything had to be bagged and thrown away. Now, the unfortunate thing was that this happened on a Monday, and our trash guy doesn't come till Friday. So we had the stinkiest trash bin in the neighborhood. I kept apologizing to my neighbor, and they were so gracious. <laughs> I think they might have been practicing this proverb, because they said, oh, we didn't even notice. They're so wonderful. I noticed. That was stinky. <clears throat> so trash day finally came, which is such a wonderful time. I love trash day. Finally got rid of all that junk in there, but that, the trash bin still had an odor to it. I went inside and I said, Cindy, do you have any bleach? Because I need, to, I need to really clean, and I love bleach. This has been an ongoing discussion in my marriage since I was, I think bleach is awesome. I have destroyed many a clothes with my bleach. And my wife, as she hands me the, the bottle of bleach, she says, now, Eddie, remember, Whatever this bleach touches, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change the color. I, I know. I, I know that already. I told her. I went outside. I poured that bleach in that stinky container, and I went to town. I got a broom. I was scrubbing and brushing, and I got the hose. And I was, man, by the time I got done, we went from having the stinkiest trash bin in the neighborhood to the best smell in that trash bin in the neighborhood. And I was pretty proud of that. And I very gladly wheeled it back to its place in between the houses and I went inside, and my wife so sweetly said to me, Eddie, thank you for doing such a dirty job. I said, oh, you're welcome. You know, husbands, we love it when we're like the hero, don't we? Oh, you're welcome, Cindy. She says, oh, but too bad. You got bleach on your red shirt, and now it's blotchy white. That was my favorite red Nike shirt that I use on my jog and I thought to myself when she warned me about the bleach I was annoyed she's always telling me what to do she isn't always telling me what to do there still is a little 10 year old boy inside of here I'm just telling you and I came back in and now my shirt's ruined I love it so much I'm still going to wear it That story I'm telling you because anger and how we deal with offense is so important that the instruction we're given is to overlook an offense. It is to your glory. And if we mishandle our anger and if we mishandle our offense, 
we're going to stain up our lives. We will. Have you ever been offended? You know, our natural response is to get mad when we get offended. I mean, anger kind of feels fun for the moment, doesn't it? Man, they made me mad. I'd like to make them pay. Inside of us, this anger, this offense begs to get out and find expression. And if only I could give them a piece of my mind, I could tell them how wrong they are, how bad they are. And, And this is what an offense does to us. But anger leads to bitterness, leads to revenge, and it will destroy your heart. It will hurt the people around you. This whole idea that I'm going to make them pay. They've hurt me, so I'm out. When we close our spirit toward them, you know what we do? We stop loving them. We stop wanting to move toward them in a way that would bless them. We turn off the love. And the greatest commandment of of the Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And when you're offended at somebody, and you've closed up your spirit toward them, and you you stop loving them, you're not doing that commandment. Now, we live in a time when it seems like everybody is offended at everything. Have you noticed that? I mean, we're, we're being, in our, in our, in our culture, we're, we're being trained that if you're offended, let people know, whether it's sports, politics, business, education, even in the church. I mean, we are duty-bound to let people know what we are mad at. And, and this proverb uh, is, is telling us, hey, listen, this is very careful. You need to handle this very carefully. Now, I do want you to say that this proverb is not saying that we should tolerate evil or that we should be abused by evil or that we should abandon all sense of justice. This is talking about the importance of having grace, mercy, and forgiveness when things go wrong. Because when you live with the spirit of offense, everything bugs you, everything makes you mad, you're going to be a hard person to live with. You're going to be a hard person to deal with. You won't even like dealing with yourself. This is such a powerful thing. It's way more powerful than bleach on a red shirt. First, you and I need to always be reminded that we are not right about everything. Just because you need to apply what you learn in church, turn to the person beside you and humbly say, you know, I realize I'm not right about everything. Come on, I know this is going to be painful for you, but tell that to the person. I remember reading one time, there was a man and his five children who got on the subway in New York City. And the man just sat there and his kids were... They were, they were boisterous and movable and loud and, and he just sat there in a daze, just ignored all of their misbehavior. And a, a, a man in the same car of the subway says to him, sir, you're not, you're, you're not teaching your kids how to behave in a subway. I, I just feel like you're not doing a good job. Can you imagine that? And the man looked up and he says, I am so sorry. He said, me and my five kids just left the hospital where their mother died. And none of us quite know how to feel or behave right now. You know, you're not always as right as you think you are. You do not know what people are going through. 
Secondly, um, we get sometimes we get offended because people in our lives don't meet our expectations. I mean, they don't give us the attention we feel like we deserve. Uh, we, we, they, they're not, people aren't meeting our needs. Somehow, we, they come up short. Uh, we feel like they have obligations toward us. Many times, these are unspoken expectations. And, and you know, uh, when you have an unmet expectation in a relationship, and you don't want to talk to them about it, because here's what you're thinking. Well, they should know. Well, you never told them. Yeah, but they should know, right? Have you ever done that? And so you give them a cold shoulder, you withdraw from them, you're like giving them the stink eye. Anybody here got a good stink eye? And they're confused. What in the world? What happened to you? Why are you upset with me? Okay. But, but the, sometimes our biggest problem is that we forget that even the best people in our lives who love us the most can never give us what God alone can give. Even if you, if you are married and you have a spouse or maybe your children or other people in your life, did you know that, that no one will ever love you like your heart desires to be loved except God alone? Did you know that no one will ever be able to pay as much attention to you uh, as, as you, because you, I, want, I want people to think I matter and they care about me, and, but, but sometimes when I'm putting this pressure on my wife or my children, and, and really the only one who can know me and understand me uh, and be there for me is God alone. When we try to find our satisfaction in life in relationships around us, and we actually reverse the order that it should be God first and then the people in our lives, if we start depending on them to fulfill what only God can do, we're gonna destroy the relationship. But if we will just stop and remind ourselves, it's only God who can really satisfy me. You know, I, I wonder how God feels because we're giving the stink eye to our wife or our husband or our kids because they're not meeting our expectations. And God says, you know what? You're not looking to me. I'm here for you. I want to meet your expectations. I want to love you like you need to be loved. I want to know you like you need to be known. Well, I have three points, and then, then we'll be done. Number one is we live in an age of offense. We do. One writer described our culture this way. We live in an age of reaction. We're slow to listen and quick, quick to speak. I mean, we, we can Twitter. We can Facebook. We can Instagram. Oh, we, I mean, we can text message and email. Are you kidding me? It's never been more possible for people to speak than today. And when we get offended, we react. It, there's a tendency to react. We, we are slow to listen and quick to speak. We're quick to rush into arguments. We cling to our anger. Our anger is met with retaliation. Our retaliation is met with hate. But what if we would learn to live like Jesus did? What if we could see beyond our present circumstances and embrace a greater purpose? He was injured and insulted. He was mocked and crucified. He had every right to retaliate. And yet all through this, he responded. How did Jesus respond? He responded with grace and remained unoffended. 
I think we are living in an age of offense. I've noticed that in conversations. People that were quiet and sort of, you know, didn't speak a lot. I, I, I see that all of a sudden they have this newfound boldness to speak up and speak out and even criticize. And they don't really have standing to speak to what they're talking about. You know, newsflash. You know, it is possible to have a relationship and love somebody we don't agree with. Did you know that? We go to our TVs and turn on our channel of choice. The echo chambers that reinforce our, our opinions and reinforce the criticisms of other people who don't share our opinions. And, oh my goodness. You know what one of my favorite buttons on the TV remote now is? Off. Did you know that there are people that do not agree with what the Bible teaches in our community? And they've chosen paths that are very different than what Scripture says is the path, I'm in church, of righteousness and holiness and goodness and the design of God. Do you know, though, that we are not supposed to hate those people? Even if we disagree, we should love and respect those people. Jesus says it's easy to love the people that, that agree with you. It's really hard to love your enemies. It is to our glory to overlook an offense. I'm not saying being soft on truth. I'm just saying not to be mad at somebody immediately because you put a label on them. Because whatever the label is, it is our responsibility and mission to love them to Jesus. Number two, Jesus taught us how to overlook an offense because Jesus was the embodiment of wisdom. And when Jesus taught about, you know, overcoming an offense, the, the, the truth is sometimes we get really touchy. Don't you touch me. Have you ever felt that way? I have. My brother and I used to put ourselves to sleep every night when we stayed with my grandparents by, I would put a, we would draw an imaginary line down the middle of the bed. You stay on your side of the bed. Don't you put any, don't, don't put your foot on my side of the bed. Any, this was our game. Anything you put on our, my side of the bed, I get a hit. We, we had the best fights in bed. And then we decided it's time to go to sleep. You know what Jesus taught about offenses? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you all can rejoice even when people aren't being nice to you because the God of heaven who judges all things and will establish ultimate justice, he's going to take care of you in the end. Jesus goes so against this idea of being offended. He goes on in verse 38. I mean, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You know, the amazing thing was when Jesus, when that commandment was made in the Old Testament, that commandment was not issued so that you and I would make sure everybody gets their fair share of payment for the evil they've done to us. It was a limit on justice and punishment. Judges, make sure that the judgment equals the crime. Do not go beyond an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And yet, you know what? As we all do, we take the, the commands of God and we corrupt them and we use them as our weapons. I hit you, you hit me. Okay. That wasn't the point. The point of that command was to limit the punishment and not let it ever exceed the injury done. Our whole judicial system is built upon that. Verse 39 but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. Now, Jesus, did you know that the Bible is complicated? Can I just say that right now? Okay. Jesus is not encouraging you to stay in an abusive situation. But this idea, if someone slaps you on a cheek, the slapping on the cheek was more of a personal insult and a dishonoring than it was a physical injury. Now, there might have been a, a, a sense of pain there, but, but what Jesus was saying is when, when someone slaps you on the cheek, it was the most dishonoring thing they could do to you. They had basically declared you a non-person. Jesus says, I don't want you to walk away from that relationship. I want you to go back into that relationship even if they may slap you on the other cheek. He told Peter, Peter, you don't just forgive seven times. How about 70 times seven? Do you see how Jesus runs absolutely counter to you hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you, and he says, this is how I want you to live. I want you to live with a lot of grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness. That should be your baseline demeanor as it is expressed in the relationships of your life. Have you ever heard the phrase, you're dead to me? Have, have you ever heard that? What Jesus was saying is, don't do that. As I speak here today, I know that there are relationships that are very tough. Brother or sister, parent and child, husband and wife. You hurt me once, you'll never hurt me again. I'm going to fight you the rest of my life. Okay, is that not our natural response? So we have this beautiful little statement, you're dead to me. This is not what Jesus is telling you to say. 
as you are able. Extend mercy, forgiveness, and keep loving. In verse 12, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 40, it says, And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. The, these are in the same chapter. And basically what that, that, that law said, if you go to court and the judge awards a judgment against a person, you can take his inner shirt, but you cannot take his, his outer coat because in the cold of the desert at night, someone out in the cold needs to be able to cover up with something. So you can take his shirt, but God is so humane and concerned. He says, don't, don't take his cloak. Jesus comes back and he says, stop being all about the legalities and fighting of one another. If your adversary is going to take your inner shirt, you decide to offer the cloak too. Do you see what that is? That's someone saying, clearly the judge has ruled that I've done something wrong. And I owe you my shirt. But with great humility, I now offer you my cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. The Roman soldiers during that day could conscript any citizen in Jerusalem and say, hey, you carry my backpack for a mile. And that would interrupt your day. It would make you late. And more than that, the Roman soldiers loved to do that because what they were saying is, let me remind you who has the power here. It was a way to humiliate and dominate and subjugate. And, and Jesus is saying, and I know you hate that so much, but here's what I want you to do. You go with them the first mile, and then you say, actually, sir, I'll go another mile for you. Do you know how, do you see what Jesus just does with that? He flips the script. Now who's serving who? who? Who is exerting a greater grace, a greater power? You do not have to be destroyed by the offense. You can overlook an offense. So Jesus, in this passage in Matthew chapter 5, gives a full exposition of how uh, overlooking an offense would look like. He actually is going for the shock value. He is taking this idea of not living an offended life, life to a place that uh, it, it might seem to many to be just absurd or impossible. That's where we live. This is hard stuff. Don't make them pay. Don't get revenge. Don't set out on a quest to destroy the reputation of the people that have offended you. Don't consider them dead. Overlook the offense. Move in the opposite spirit of that offense and love them even if they hurt you. <clears throat> the Washington Post in 2016 wrote an article and told an amazing story 
Now, I want, you sh- I want to show you the picture of this lady. Um, if you see the picture, you see the word behind her over the window says, forgiven. Now, that is a very important word. This lady's name is Terry Roberts. It, this article was done 10 years after her son invaded an Amish schoolhouse. He tied up 10 little girls between the ages of 6 and 13 and shot them, killing five and injuring others before he killed himself. Some of you may remember this. I mean, it was the most awful, horrendous thing in 2006. Terry Roberts and her husband discussed what had happened, and they said, you know what? We're probably going to have to move far away from here because people talk about the fact that the parents of mass murderers are also guilty, and, and this community is going to ostracize us and blame us uh, and, and because of the evil that our son has committed, and they themselves were trying to struggle with that. But within hours of the massacre... As the Amish parents were still waiting in a nearby barn for the word on their daughters who had survived and who had not, an Amish man by the name of Henry arrived at their home with a message. The families did not see the couple as an enemy. Rather, they saw them as parents who were also grieving the loss of their child. Henry put his hand on the shoulder of Terry Roberts' husband and called him a friend. Can you believe that? The world watched in amazement as the day, on the day that their son was buried, and 30 Amish men and women, some of the parents of the victims, came to the cemetery and formed a wall to block the media cameras. Parents whose daughters had died at the hand of their son approached the couple after the burial and offered condolences for their loss. When the mothers of some of these children looked into her eyes, their eyes blurred with tears as hers did because they were both trying to make sense of this youthful, useless, senseless tragedy. This Amish couple, I mean, this, this Amish community, they forgave this couple. You know, the room she's in was built by that Amish community. You know the word forgiven on top of that window was crafted by some of the Amish craftsmen in that group. And they embodied the instructions of Jesus. And they demonstrated that it is to your glory to overlook an offense. A professor, professor of Amish studies at Elizabethtown College said that for most people, forgiveness and acceptance come at the end of a long emotional process. But the Amish forgive first. And then every day work through the emotions of it. This decisional forgiveness opened a space for Robert's to offer her friendship, which normally in their situation would be uncomfortable. 
but this community embraced her. Third, <clears throat> choose to live unoffended. You, do you know you, you can choose? It is impossible for you to avoid offenses. It's impossible. Offenses are going to come. People are going to say things that hurt your feelings. People are going to do things that are, are not good. And all of this is painful and difficult. You are going to be offended. Avoiding offense is impossible, but living offended is your choice. And when you live offended, you allow bitterness into your heart. When you live offended, you are from that point and forever in the future tethered to your offender. The only way to be free is for you to pass over the offense, to forgive the offense, to respond with grace, mercy, compassion, and forgiveness. And in doing so, you pull the poison out of your heart and you become free. Proverbs 19.11 Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. You know, we don't like to use that word glory referring to ourselves because for me it seems like that should only belong to God. But do you know that God's greatest glory is when his children flourish? When his children are free? When his children are succeeding? when he's able to pour out his greatest blessing into their hearts and lives. And the reason that this verse is here is because when we choose to hold onto an offense, we no longer can receive all the goodness and blessing of God. You know, it, it, it makes me think of the lint filter in my dryer. And I have told this to my kids. I'll pull out, have you ever done that? You Surely you have. Otherwise, your house might have burned down. You pull out the lint filter, and it always shocks me, after a load of towels, how much invisible little particles are floating in the air, and I can pull out all of that lint. But if you don't pull it out, it's going to clog it up, and the air won't be able to go through, and the function of the dryer will be diminished. And, and, and here's the deal. The more offenses you let remain, the more you clog up the filter of your life. You need to be free. You need to forgive. Jesus said, as he taught us to pray, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. It is the right thing for us to pay the price, to feel the pain, but you choose to overlook an offense and to live unoffended. Have you ever been around a bitter person? They're touchy, they're mad at everybody and everything, easily angered. 
You know, if you become a bitter person, you stop feeling the love of the people around you. And God says, I don't want that for you. You know, when Jesus was here, he went to the cross. He was betrayed by Peter and his disciples, abandoned to die alone. I mean, his enemies were killing him, and his most beloved friends left him. And he's hanging on the cross. And you know what I would have expected Jesus to say if he was like me? God, man, these people aren't worth it. These people who say they're my best friend, they love me so very much. Look at, they've all abandoned me. They've, they've betrayed me. I, forget it. I'm coming off this cross. No, that's not what he does. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. God tells us the right way to live, the most blessed way to live is to over overlook the offenses around us. So I want to ask you to bow your head for just a second, okay? Okay.